on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. On one occasion in Jesus' earthly ministry, he traveled to the Mediterranean seacoast. We read that he traveled far outside the ordinary Jewish territory. He came to that area around the city of Tyre, located directly on the seacoast. Today, that's part of the country of Lebanon. It's in Mark chapter 7 that we read about that. We read that Jesus was visiting someone there. We're not told who. He was visiting in secret. Maybe he just needed to get away, to take a break. The Gospel writers tell us that Jesus regularly took breaks. He just had to get away from it all sometimes, to refresh himself physically and spiritually. But a certain woman from that same region discovered that Jesus was there. Now, she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. That's the word for all non-Jews. They are called Gentiles. And from the viewpoint of the Jews, Gentiles were not deserving of God's care or his love. In fact, there was a popular Jewish prayer in those days, and part of it went like this. I thank you, O God, that you have not made me a Gentile. And so it was that good Jews refused to socialize with Gentiles or to do any business whatsoever with them. Now, this Gentile woman is motivated to find Jesus because her daughter was possessed by a demon. We're not going to dwell on that, that whole idea of demon possession. Well, it's filled with scenes from scary Hollywood movies. But basically, in those days, to be possessed by a demon meant, among other things, that you were very sick. You were out of your right mind. So it would have been with this girl, this daughter of this woman who goes to find Jesus. We read that when she came to him, she started to beg him. She was begging Jesus to deliver her daughter. This mother is desperate. She so desperately wants her daughter to be restored to her right mind. That's why she's begging Jesus. The word in the original refers to an ongoing, repeated action. She kept on begging him. She was pleading with Jesus that her daughter could be delivered. Then the daughter would be able to live within her family once again and within her community. Listen to what Jesus says to this woman, this mother. Bible scholars call this a parable. A parable is normally a longer story, but a parable can also be just a one-liner, a short cryptic saying of some kind. And so it is with these words from Jesus. And as with all parables, of course, there's some deeper spiritual meaning. So Jesus says this in Mark 7, verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus is saying this to this Gentile woman, this mother of that daughter. And he's referring to the Jews, to the Jewish people. He's referring to them as the children, the children in a family, living with parents in a household. Now, indeed, on some level, the Jewish people were, were the, the, the children of God. They were his special people. Uh, they belonged to his household. They were his family in that sense. And what is she, this woman? Well, Jesus isn't using politically correct language here, not according to our modern sensibilities. 
He's referring to her and to all Gentiles as the dogs. It's not very polite language. Now, it might help a bit to look at the exact word that Jesus is using here in the original Greek. Though he was speaking in Aramaic, probably, it's been translated into Greek as Mark is writing the story. The standard Greek word for dog is usually a very negative word. Dogs on the street were dirty dogs. They were scavenger dogs, dogs that would eat rotten meat. Street dogs were unclean and filthy. They were often very vicious. But the word or the form of the word that Jesus is using here is what the experts call the diminutive form. The diminutive form. In the English language, we show diminutives by adding an I-E or a Y or an L-Y to the end of some noun. For example, dad and mom in the diminutive become daddy and mommy. One purpose for diminutives is to show a very close relationship or to express uh, endearment or or affection or, or, or love. And so an aunt, a favorite aunt, becomes an auntie. You get the idea. In English, your favorite dog is called a doggy, and the pet cat becomes kitty. Well, that's the form Jesus is using here. He's not referring to dirty, vicious street dogs. He's referring instead to the little dogs that belong to the children of the household. They're puppy dogs. They're pet dogs. The Jews, Jesus is saying, are like the children in the family. The Gentiles are like their pet dogs. Now, this fits with what Jesus says elsewhere. In fact, very often in the Gospels, Jesus will tell us that he was sent first to the Jews, to the biological descendants of Abraham. He wasn't sent to the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the later Greeks or Romans. No, only the Jews were God's chosen people. And Jesus reiterates that often. In fact, a parallel account of this story is found in Matthew chapter 15, and there, Jesus is quoted as saying this to the same woman, quote, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the Apostle Paul will say this later in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So in God's plan of redemption, his first priority was to save the Jews, to send the Jewish Messiah to his covenant people. Here in Mark 7, Jesus says, First, let the children eat all they want. Jesus is proclaiming the good news, especially to the Jews, that he is the bread from heaven. He wants his own people to eat freely of him, to satisfy their spiritual hunger and thirst, to learn from him, to be saved by him. Picture these children sitting at home at their table. The meal's been prepared especially for them. They're eagerly eating it and enjoying their delicious meal. While they're eating, where are their pet dogs? Where are the little puppy dogs? Well, they're sitting, aren't they, under the table. The children are up at the table, eating the meal, enjoying it. The pet dogs are under the table, waiting their turn. Jesus' priority was to minister to the children, that is, to the Jews, and it was not to minister to the Gentiles, such as this woman. But after Jesus says this, notice 
how she responds, how she reacts. She doesn't go away. She doesn't become angry. She doesn't even slink away like a defeated dog. Listen to her response. She says to Jesus, Yes, Lord. This woman is essentially agreeing with Jesus. She recognizes the priority of the Jews for salvation. But then she says this, Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. It's an amazing response. This woman you see is content to be like a a little dog, a, a puppy dog. She's content to be sitting, as it were, under the table. She's willing to wait her turn. All she's asking Jesus for are a few crumbs, some of the leftovers. Won't Jesus give that to her? I have a friend who has two little dogs. When he and his wife are eating their meal, he's trained those dogs not to be begging for food, not to be whining, not to paw at their legs while they're eating. So these two dogs will simply lie down under the table. They're trained to wait. And then finally, when he's done eating, this man takes some of the scraps from his plate, he puts them in his hand, he lowers his hand to the floor, but even then, the dogs are trained to wait, to wait until he gives the signal. Then finally, they can eat. Think of this woman, this Gentile woman, with a daughter who's demon-possessed. In quiet confidence, in wonderful humility, She's content to wait her turn. She simply says to Jesus, But Jesus, even the little dogs can eat some of the crumbs. Even the little dogs can eat some of the leftovers. Now Mark doesn't elaborate on Jesus' reaction, but he does speak favorably. He says to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. For this saying, Jesus is referring to her words, words spoken from a humble spirit, yet spoken with a quiet confidence that she was simply looking to Jesus for a few crumbs. So yes, Jesus gives her what she needs. At that very moment, her daughter at home is delivered from that demon. It was back in the early episodes of Mission Upside Down that I reflected in one episode on the most deadly of all sins the sin of pride. The sin of pride is described by many theologians as one of the worst of sins. Why is that? Well, because it's at the root of so many of our other sins. Out of pride, we start to think that we know better than everyone else, even better than God. It's our belief that we can figure things out for ourselves. We'll refuse God's diagnosis of our inner spiritual condition. We'll refuse his cure, which is Jesus. Often we're just too proud, too proud towards God. God has given us his word, the Bible, and that word points us to Jesus to be our bread from heaven, to feed us, to satisfy us. But instead of being fed by Jesus, we often continue pridefully to go our own way. We just need to stop. We need to come to the end of ourselves, our own ideas, our own techniques, and simply find our place under the table, so to speak, and there just to anticipate a 
a few crumbs from Jesus, a few crumbs from his word, his call to us to admit that we're not so sure of ourselves anymore. We, we simply are starting to look to his way, his way of changing things. And all of that starts by simply humbling ourselves. To admit that we're more like the puppy dogs under the table, begging Jesus for a few crumbs. We don't deserve a place like the children at the table. No, we're sitting under the table, just begging him. And when we humble ourselves, when we simply look up to Jesus, what happens is something amazing. In Jesus, we're forgiven of our failures, our faults. Our guilt is taken away. We're credited with his righteousness. But then even more, in Jesus, we are lifted up. It's like we're given a place at his table. The Bible even says that when we trust in Jesus, God the Father adopts us as his own children and heirs. That Jesus becomes our brother. That we are his sisters and brothers. That together we become the family of God. Then we're no longer like little puppy dogs sitting under the table. No, we're lifted up by God's grace and we become his family. We're given a seat at the table. And think of this. We're not then only given a few crumbs, the leftovers. Instead, as his children and heirs, God gives us in Jesus the whole meal. He becomes our living bread from heaven, our food, our drink. The Bible says that in Jesus we receive an overflowing abundance of God's love, that we become enriched with every spiritual blessing. We're given not just a few crumbs, but when we start to trust in Jesus, we're given the whole meal. We're given all of him. Well, this story in Mark chapter 7 should also remind us powerfully that none of this is our own doing. That we, like puppy dogs under the table, have no natural claim on Jesus. We're like this woman. We have no right in ourselves. We were not designated from many, many years ago as children of God. No, by nature, we are as dogs under the table. Oh, maybe cute puppy dogs, but we're dogs nonetheless. Especially for us, as Gentiles, as non-Jews. Historically, we're simply not from God's original people. We're not biological descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Only the Jews are. Interestingly, this is how Paul himself describes the Jewish people in Romans chapter 9. He says, Theirs is the adoption as sons, the Jews. Theirs is the adoption of, as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. That's Romans chapter 9, verses 3, 4, and 5. And then Paul continues a little later, verse 15 and following of Romans 9. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. 
Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Oh, what heavy words those are. What deep words. That everything, everything in our salvation depends on God's mercy. It all depends on God's grace, his favorable, kindly attitude for us who continue to fail him day after day after day. That God out of grace has simply decided out of his own good pleasure to save us, to show us grace. And that Jesus then also freely lavishes his grace upon that woman and then also upon us as we simply are begging him like little puppy dogs under the table. Then these words in Romans 9 follow. Romans 9, 22 and following. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, whom he prepared in advance for glory. Even us, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As God says in the book of Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. How beautiful is that? That out of the Gentile peoples, and yes, even from among the Jews today, God is calling some to Jesus. God is giving some the gift of faith. God is moving us by his grace to trust in him. We who were once no people, we were surely not of the ancient chosen people. But out of his love and by his grace, Jesus has given us just a few crumbs. He's given us himself. But please, let's not ever think we deserve it, that we have some inherent right to sit at the table, that we have some inherent right to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to trust in Jesus, that we can demand our rights to be saved by Jesus. No, it's all by God's grace. It's completely from out of his mercy. Oh, but what a mercy it is. What an amazing, surprising grace. Not only has God saved us, delivered us, forgiven us all our faults and failures, but then he's also lifted us up, lifted us up from the floor to sit at his very own table. We are now in Jesus, sons and daughters of God our Father. It's amazing. Let me close with some words from John chapter 3. John 3, just the first verse, and then later from chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. And won't you take these words with you as you go through this week? 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How great is that love that God the Father has lavished on us. It's an overflowing love that we then are called children of God, and that's exactly who we are. And then from chapter 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us 
and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, let's go out and live as richly blessed children of God, children at God's table, lifted up by Jesus, given a place by his grace and mercy. Now we can truly live in love, love for God above all, and to love other people as much as we love ourselves. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down.